This is Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, episode number 79. Today, our special guest is Roberta Young. We talk with Roberta about the dynamic of being a nurse in the family when a loved one is ill and not only how to navigate these situations, but leverage them to improve your professional practice. You won't want to miss this. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Hi, it's Michelle. And Tracy. Welcome back to another episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. Yay! Yay! Here we are, another day. Another day, another episode. Yeah. And you know what? We've been waiting for this one. We have. We have. Yeah. Because we We have have. a very special guest, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's always fun to think, who are we going to have on the podcast? Who are we going to have on the podcast? And uh, and this person kind of just bubbled up to the top and uh, she did a wonderful thing in 2020. She had a great article published. So we're going to talk about that. Yes. And all of her lessons and words of wisdom. So, uh, and who are we talking about, Tracy? We're talking about Roberta Young. Roberta Young. And we've known Roberta for quite some time. We have. Yeah. You know, you always wonder about those people that just keep coming back into your life and then they leave for a while, then they come back, then they leave and they come back. Well, Roberta's one of those souls. Yeah, she's back now though. Oh, she's with us all, oh, all yeah. the way now. All the way now. Not getting away, Roberta, if you're listening to this. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit more about Roberta Young. So Roberta's been a nurse and a healthcare leader for over 35 years. About as long as we have. Yep, right? yep. And she's had the privilege of serving in many different patient populations, communities, and healthcare staffs. She actually started a career as a critical care nurse. There you go, mm-hmm. Michelle. Yep. Right, Kindred aligned spirit. with you. That's <laughs> right. And then she was a pediatric intensive care nurse as well, and a flight nurse. So she did. Wait till you hear the rest of this. She's got a, a broad array of experiences and knowledge and expertise. She was also an educator. Well, there we go. Another alignment yep, here, right? Another alignment for clinical staff education, organizational development, and consumer health education. As she grew and evolved as a clinician, she then became a nurse manager as well and a director of inpatient oncology and palliative care. And then ultimately, she became a vice president of operations at Merit Care in Sanford, which is where we met That's her. where we first met Roberta. Yeah. And then she has, uh, she also uh, has quite a bit of experience with facility planning and the planning of new facilities. And, all, and then she has evolved to the CNO role, and she's held numerous roles in different in different locations. So she's been the CNO for Sanford Fargo Market. She was the ACNO at All True Health System. And today she's the CNO at Lake Regional Healthcare in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she's been around. She and she's has got been. a lot to share, right? Yeah. Yep. So without further ado, let's get to that interview. Well, welcome, Roberta. We are so excited to have you in Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast today. We have been waiting for this moment. Yes, we have. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a great interview. And of course, Tracy and I love to start with a little banter and... Here it comes, folks. Here it comes. (laughs) I just had to start with... 
Roberta and I are kindred spirits from North Dakota, and it runs deep, folks. It runs really deep. (laughs) Yes, it does. It's very important. (laughs) Yes, it is. And I was born in the city with the world's largest buffalo, which is Jamestown, North Dakota. And Roberta, why don't you start out our podcast by telling our listeners other things that North Dakota is known for, because it's known for so much. (laughs) Well, I love being a North Dakotan, and I think when we say the word sometimes, we sound a little bit like we have an accent, but, um, (laughs) you know, one of the things that North Dakota is known for is having the first national park, Theodore Roosevelt National Park out in the Badlands. It's a beautiful part of the state, and um, just love being out there with my family. It's one of the places that we go every year to relax. Um, and I'm a farmer. There's lots of farming in North Dakota, and we're number one producer in the nation for edible beans and dry and wheat, and it's just a cool place to be from. So, Yes, I will agree with that, and I also come from a family of farmers. So how about that? <laughs> Here we go. Here Another we go. connection point. Here we go. Here we go. Uh. Well, Roberta, you participated in a group podcast interview recently uh, with members of our Rise of the Resilient and Balanced Healthcare Leadership uh, Coaching Group. And uh, we know that it's been very important for you, um, you know, to be part of that group and to really be on a journey of personal growth and development. And we thought you could start out the podcast by telling our listeners, you know, how this came to be, what kind of made you really desire personal development and make it a priority, you know, in your life? Well, I've had, you know, the fortune of having in the last three years of having some pauses in my career, which does give you some time for self-reflection. But both times that I've kind of interacted with you folks is that I was about to embark on a new journey with a new company and new roles. Um, and I knew that I could get swept up into that. I, I can work long hours. I can I give of myself. And so I wanted to be more intentional about really having balance because I knew I could be a better leader if I paid attention to myself. And I've really found with the two of you, and I've said this before, that I have felt coachable around you. Like, um, I know that you are passionate and you care and just the care that you have about elevating healthcare leaders is such a unique, I think a unique mission. And um, just being a part of that has just been a blessing for me. Well, thank you. Thank you, Roberta. Yeah. You've been a blessing to us too. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and I just, I love your intention. I think that's one of the things I admire most about you is you are very intentional. And uh, I think that's just such a huge strength. Now, one of the things that we learned about you is you're passionate about storytelling and writing. And as you reflect on where you are now in your career, why do you think it's important to tell stories and and capture experiences through writing? Well, I think the thing about storytelling, and I, I think we all learned this probably early on, is that we learn in many different ways. We use many of our gifts to learn things, but we remember things by stories. You really remember. And when I think about the different types of, you know, either workshops or times when I've been sitting with people with um, that have, that are wise, it's the stories that I remember and that have affected my career. You know, an example of that probably is that I, um, I went from adult critical care nursing to to children and you really, you know, with adult critical care, you know, families are important, but with kids, you're like, really know families are important. And I guess I could give a lecture about all the reasons that you involve families. But when I tell a story about the time I failed at that and prevented a family from being close to their child near the end of their life, that failure story impacts people so much more than going through all of the whys. And I think that's that's the thing. We remember those things. And storytelling helps you heal from mm-hmm. events and situations. And, and how you can learn from experiences is how you tell your story. Um, so it has been important. And I just really have just recently started thinking I could write and write those stories down. So Um, That's one of the things that's kind of come out of my work um, in terms of that work-life balance and really getting down to really what my values are. 
So it's a newer journey for me, but pretty exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. It really is. And it's such a great point you're bringing up because it's true. You remember from stories. You do. Yeah. Well, Roberta, you published an article in my American Nurse Journal this year, uh, January 19th, uh, 2020 to be exact. And it was entitled Being the Nurse in the Family. And I have to say, it's one of the positive things that happened in 2020 (laughs) was having that article published. (laughs) Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, just on a personal note, um, my father passed away five days before that article was published. And when I read it, I could relate to so many things that you write about in that article. And Tracy's also had, you know, experience with, um, you know, ill parents and family members and uh, and when you're the person in healthcare, there is a different dimension that happens. So, really appreciate that article. But we haven't really talked about how that article came about. So, give us a little background on it. Well, you know, I co-wrote it with a colleague of mine, Terry Anderson from Nebraska, and we had um, we had met earlier. We're both um, presidents of our state nurses associations at the same time, and so had gotten to know each other. And so just over the years, kept connecting. And one of my pauses in my career, I reconnected with many people, but I reconnected with her. And um, her mother um, had recently died and had gone through kind of that dwindling chronic condition and talked a lot about that role of being a nurse plus a daughter and and what that was like. And um, the more we talked, we knew that we wanted, you know, she knew I wanted to do some writing and so we started talking about how that really related to how it changed our practice, how those experiences of being with a loved one through a journey changed our nursing practice because we gave it opportunity to. So that was really the start of it. And I think, again, you know, the stories of what I had related, I know, out loud to people, the stories about what I learned about my mom's illness and about being that family member. So it was just an opportunity for us to to share that. And I guess to stimulate thinking, because I think sometimes when you're taking care of a patient and you know there's a healthcare provider in the family, it can be, sometimes you kind of cringe as a nurse. <laughs> Honestly, I think because, um, I don't know, I don't know why we're not gracious about that. But so it really made us look at that situation from many different angles. Yeah, well, you did a great job, and, and um, the article has a lot of great just tips for people that are in healthcare and they have um, you know ill family members. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, you describe how we can experience being a family member, you know, as a nurse, if both you know frustrations with our fellow healthcare colleagues, and yet at the same time be in awe of them and the care they're delivering. So can you say a little bit more about that dynamic? Well, I think, you know, I was in a situation where my mom was being taken care of by colleagues. I worked with some of the same nurses, some of the same physicians, and um, I I knew or I I trusted them. And so you saw things that were just, you know, how they were tender and, and, you know, some nurses just so respected both my dad and my mom and and then at times um there was times where it felt like they weren't being listened to or trivialized um their concerns or they made assumptions that were just interesting unfortunately my mom was not that she was not that old she was 70 she looked about 85 or 90 quite honestly and in the last couple years of her life really dwindled but I knew a couple years before that she was running her own business and that she was um, very capable and in charge of herself. And to see her treated like somebody with a feeble mind was so disturbing to me. And I became pretty like a lioness, you know, about it. That, that you know, can you, can you maybe just leave the room for a second? I, would, I remember telling one nurse, I just want you to just leave the room for a second. I want you to gather yourself and I want you to reenter. And I want you to be open to the fact that this is somebody who... Um, you know, owned her own business, that she could, um, she could make decisions, she could cook for 30 people, you know, and think differently about it and how you're going to interact. Now, that's kind of a bold, icky thing to say, (laughs) probably, but 
I was, I, I wanted from my mom that she was always respected. And that was some of the disappointments. And at the other time, there'd be caregivers that were just so awesome. So it was always that kind of that balance. Well, and you know, I think to me, what the first thing comes to my mind is you have to know people's stories. Exactly. Yeah. You, You know, you have to know who they are to care for them. Mm-hmm. And until we take the time to know who that is in that bed, mm-hmm. we make a lot of assumptions, right? And mm-hmm. and so I think, bold or not, that was the right thing to do for your mom, right? And mm-hmm. um, and I, I commend you for that. I think it's so critical and so important. And I guarantee you that nurse will never forget that. That's right. Right, right. And I think, you know, I could have been just angry. I mean, truly, I was pretty angry <laughs> a couple yeah. of times in that situation. And um, it, but it wouldn't have, and I, and I know I probably was short with some people. I was not perfect. Um, but it's like I needed to kind of ground myself in the fact, how could I make a difference? And I was really more thinking about my mom than I was thinking about that nurse's career and what she could learn. Um, But I, you know, I think it's that those moments that what can I do that's positive and not make it more negative in the situation that I did have control over that. Mm -hmm. Well, and in that situation, you're the daughter. Yeah, mm-hmm. not the nurse, right? In that right. moment, you're right. the daughter. And so that and that's where that intention came from, mm-hmm. right? To protect mm-hmm. your mom, to make sure that she was respected, had the right kind of care to serve her and who she was in her wholeness. And and uh, and so to your point, right, you're kind of, you're flipping back and forth, right? At different parts of the journey, you're playing different roles, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the article, there's a line that's really powerful. And you say you define your role when a family member is ill and then apply that experience in your practice. So here you just talked to us about helping somebody else, right, kind of redirect their care. But you're saying here, right, as a family member, you can also take those lessons and apply them to your practice when you are practicing. So tell us a little bit more about how those actions are helpful. Well, you know, I really thought that, you know, as I reflected on this situation and others over the years that um, it, it helped me remember, I guess, that that important position that you are never just treating one person. You're always treating a collection of people um, that we all have our own lived experiences. And when I think about some of my actions where I know that I appeared um, short or I was, I had a lot of questions or I didn't have a lot of questions because I, I did know the pathophysiology of what was going on or um, that not to, I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want people to assume um either. And so I think taking that into your practice now, how as a nurse, when I'm caring for another patient or a family member, or I'm helping support that care of the nurses that I serve as a leader, is that how do I help them create that space that they can pause and that they can listen? Because it doesn't take all that long. It doesn't take that long to establish rapport, to ground yourself before you enter that room so you can pay attention to that person and that family member. And I think really to question, question your assumptions and to, you have to think a little bit to do that because in the busyness of a day and all the things that are going on that, um, it's that you, you still have to take that pause and it's not going to make your day longer. It's not going to make you stay over time to do that, that you can do it. You can do it while you're doing things, but again, it's about that intentionality of pausing thinking about that particular patient, thinking about the dynamics of their family and creating it into a healing environment versus um, one that's um, full of confliction. So, Well, I just, 
just takes me right back to the bedside. I know, doesn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> you know, and I and I'm not a nurse. I'm a respiratory therapist, but I feel the same way, right? Yeah. I learned these things a long time ago, mm. right? Yeah, right. And um, how critical it is to not make those assumptions, to pause, to think about you know everybody that's involved here, and then to be on the other side of that that mm-hmm. bed as well, right? Like you know, to be the family member. And uh, so, yeah, it takes me right back to all those experiences. And I think right now, you know, in the COVID world, when I think about all of the extra steps and busyness that's gotten into healthcare, frontline healthcare providers' lives, you know, how do we turn? So, like, the opportunity, you have to don PPE and you have to doff PPE, right? On Mm -hmm, and off. And mm -hmm. how to intentionally maybe use that time to send to yourself before you enter the room. And then when we had, right, the, the healthcare system I'm working in, we are allowing one visitor per family. But when we were not, the intentionality of still keeping family members involved was really difficult and really had to be planned. And the family members, you know, no news was not good news to them. No news was something has gone bad and they're too busy to call me. And so it's really that we couldn't we shouldn't have waited for family members to check in with us. We needed to check in with them intentionally and make it a schedule, make it a priority. And that was, it was hard because there was a lot of busyness. Just we we're asking a lot out of healthcare providers and it's hard to step back and include family when they weren't present with you. And sure. I think about the energy and persistence that our healthcare workers, frontline right. workers are going, are doing to make that happen. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's so critical. Well, and yeah. the things that bothered clinicians the most, right, during the the really hardest times of COVID was having patients at the end of their life without anybody present, right? And and at that, so we know at the heart and soul of the clinician is that intention, right? And they, they know the importance, but then sometimes I think we get caught up yep. in the busyness, in the task doing, checking mm-hmm. the box, making sure everything's done. That we mm-hmm. step aside from that that part of our scope of practice, right? Which is which includes the mm-hmm. family, right? Mm-hmm. And they are a part of the team. And when they're not there, hard to keep that in mind. So, yeah, very very hard. And and so I think it takes other team members. So maybe it isn't that frontline caregiver that's doing that. Maybe they don't have the energy to do that, and maybe aren't the right person. But who else do you have to do that? How are leaders stepping in or that charge, if there's a charge nurse role, how that is stepping in to do that? It really, and I don't think, we didn't have it figured out for a while, quite honestly. We disappointed a lot of people. And I think now we've gotten better about that. And that work, it's like, it takes work and role redesign. This is just new and we're, we're kind of finally, I think, catching on to some of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's such a great point because you, it just all happened so suddenly, and yeah, people weren't prepared. And you know, we 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 even did a nurse a story on a nurse that went to New York, and that was her role. She was the family liaison, and mm-hmm. because people were trying to figure out how do we connect these families to these patients, um, and learn and adapt, learn and adapt. Yeah. So that's, that's such a great right. point. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. And we're all, you know, and I, I really believe, you know, everybody's doing the best that they can. Mm-hmm. Right. And to your point, but let's learn from it and then right. let's redesign how we deliver care and how we communicate so that we can have that connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the mm-hmm. lessons from COVID are going to be profound. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Roberta, you point out uh, in the article that the role of the nurse in the family extends beyond the acute episodes, um, and that there's also a role in ongoing care planning, support, coordination as well, which I think is really important. Uh, Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to our listeners on how to manage that acute and ongoing family dynamic that happens when you're a, a nurse and a family member or a healthcare provider and a family member? I think one, I don't really like giving advice, but one thing that I learned was over and over, kind of having to define your role, because sometimes you were expected to kind of be that nurse, to be that listening ear, that new healthcare jargon, that knew what should be some of those questions to ask, and defining that both for whoever your loved one is and for your, and your, for the rest of your family. So I'm the youngest of um, three, you know, three girls in our family, and 
Um, I'm the youngest and I, and I happen to be the nurse. So you know how it is. There's always family dynamics. So, and I love my sisters, but, um, you know, sometimes they were not happy that I was a nurse and knew everybody. And sometimes they were super glad that I was, you know, but we all had roles and all very important roles. But I think it's that defining that. And sometimes it was that we were just all in this together and grieving, but I think some of it, too, is also really dividing out the tasks that need to be done. So who's going to be with, with you know, mom at her appointment? Or who's going to be with dad at her appointment this time? Who's going to be looking at their March chart? Who's, you know, is defining those and talking out loud and not assuming. I think that was something because sometimes in families, because you know each other so well, you just sort of make assumptions and go on where you some of these times you really have to sit down and say, hey, here's the game plan. You know, here's the calendar. We took care of my mom for five months on hospice after she left the hospital and we were all working women and my dad was actively farming. And so we had to have a calendar and assignments and and um Thank goodness I have a I have a one niece who's just an awesome logistics person and so she <laughs> she kind of control of that we just followed her lead I had a my sister who's a great cook and you know so she was like kind of the grocery and cook person and you know so we all had roles and but we had to talk a lot about it and when we didn't things kind of got messy and so I think it's it's that is defining is just talking out loud about things that sometimes maybe you aren't used to talking about, but it just goes better when you do. Yeah, that's great advice. It is advice. (laughs) It's advice. Well, it's advice from your, um, you know, from your own experience, Roberta. And that is really true when you're trying to coordinate care and you've got adult children. And um, I know like with my situation with my dad, you know, two of my siblings lived out of state, so it was really important to keep them informed what was going on. And then, you know, not always, you know, I kind of fought that. Well, I'm the oldest, I'm the nurse, I got to make sure everything goes okay. And just letting go of that, right? And asking for help when you need help. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's mm-hmm. all really important. Yeah. I will say another piece is that I was fortunate enough to be working in a great working environment and people who, cared about me as an individual and also knew what that my role was going to ebb and flow. And, um, you know, that again, keeping your work life, you know, informed and, um, not taking advantage of, um, a great environment there, but really articulating your needs there too. And that was, um, something that I've, as I've looked back, I've just been so thankful for that. I did have, you know, my colleagues at work were so supportive of me, um, and that's, and we were, and we were able to give that gift back. Like you pay that back um, mm-hmm. over time because we, nobody's immune from having difficult family situations. Nobody, everyone's got a story about this. Yeah. It's so it's true. Multiple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. In some regards, multiple, multiple, multiple stories. stories, multiple experiences. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are some ways that nurses can leverage the experience that they've had with a family situation such as yours or something similar and sort of take their key learnings, their key ahas, you know, from that experience and improve their own practice? Do you have any tips or recommendations? I do think, again, you know, one of my favorite words, intentionality, you have to be intentional about your reflection. And sometimes emotions are too big, probably right after those events, or else you're exhausted. um, If it's an ongoing chronic event. But that reflection is really important. And just to think about, you know, some pretty hard questions and try to really be honest with yourself. Like, when have you made assumptions about family members that were untrue? And in your past, and if you would have had to do that over now with what you learned, would you have done something different? Uh, I think that's a a really good question. I think the other question is, have you, you know, the heat, you don't, as a nurse, we're not totally in charge of all the healing, right? There's a lot of factors of that. But can we be that guide to create that healing environment, including the family, even if they're annoying to you? It's like, you have to step back from that. So again, it's, reflecting about where you noticed that caregivers created that healing inviting environment for you. Could you replicate that? And could you make that better? I think those are a couple of questions and reflection that are important for healthcare 
folks to think about when they've gotten through it. And I think, especially if there's been a, you know, there's a grief, if there's a death, there's grief, but sometimes there's just that, is that parent or that loved one, if they have loss of function or a loss of that relationship, there's grief kind of entwined into this. And I think too, that reflection is what you need to heal from grief. And I think that's the thing that sometimes I've seen healthcare workers come back from these events and their grief is just weighing them down. Something is in the barrier of their grief walk to go through that. And um, and so, you know, I, again, it's how do you kind of protect that and, you know, help people acknowledge that they have healing themselves to do. Um, I think that's, it's important. And we don't, you know, sometimes it's in rituals, whether some folks are, they meditate or they have a ritual in the morning or they have a ritual at the end of the day to use for that. You know, when I was with my mom, I was walking with a neighbor and she was a little bit chatty, but she was like chatty and then not chatty. And so that morning walk was just awesome for me because I could just listen <laughs> for one thing, but it was nothing high level. You know, it was really doesn't think deep, but it was, it was refreshing. But I, at the same time, I was able just to, we we're just walking and that walking with me helped me reflect about what was going on and helped me then afterwards when my mom died as I was doing more reflection. It was those types of rituals that helped me walk through it and taking right. that time for reflection. Yeah, that's really great. I know for me, um, when with my father, I had this realization that what I was feeling was anticipatory grief, which is another human response. And yes. and then I just really leaned into that, like it's okay, and I I, I am anticipating this, and I got to lean into it now, so I can be stronger through it. And it was really extremely helpful to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very wise of you. Yeah. Yeah, it was wise of her. <laughs> it served her well. You know, I mean, really, it, it really helped her overall. Now, as a CNO, um, what are the ways that these experiences have helped you, like have more empathy for the nurses in your organization, offer support to them during these challenging times? Share a little bit about that. You know, like I said, everyone's got a story and there's, there's these situations that we all go through. And one of the things I really believe that family is just more important than work and not in a bad way, but it'll balance out. I just have a trust that it'll balance out and that there's a season that folks are going to walk through that they are um, that they need more support and need some more help. And so I know that if I give that intention and that support to them, that eventually it's going to uh, it's going to pay off and they're going to feel supported and and, um, and come back better person and, and better healed. Um, and I, you know, sometimes maybe I've gotten questioned with my act, my actions around that. But um, I know that if my, my message and my being is that family is important right now, it's fine that you're going to be gone for work for this period of time because I, I know you're going to come back and pick it up. But um, and so I'm, I'm willing to do that mm -hmm. and it's paid off time after time. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, going through some of these experiences, particularly with grief, sometimes I remember this one nurse had a terrible, um, sudden death in her family. <clears throat> and then she came back to work. She was, you know, a hard, hard worker. And about almost to the date of the anniversary of that event, she like fell apart and everyone is wondering what is going on with her. Well, I knew I, and it was like, you know, you, you know, I you know, brought her in, just visited with her and asked her a little bit about what was going on. And I said, you know, here's, here's the deal. You have time and you don't have to be here. You know, what's best for yourself. And so if that means taking time, if that means, um, you know, going away someplace, going to visit friends, do that because we're here to support you. And I think that's just so important. And it and it speaks volumes to staff that you understand those things and you care about them and you can articulate them and, and call it out and not be afraid, not tiptoe around it, which a lot of our colleagues are just kind of tiptoeing around it. And it's like, let's acknowledge it. This is our colleague. This is our friend. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's the human element, right, in the work environment. Yes, so important. And recognizing that humanness, right? And, you know, like for me, too, I, I lost both my parents in the same year. So I went from caring for my dad and hospice in my home to coming back to, you know, in Arizona, coming back to Michigan, taking care of my mom and helping her through her journey through how, all between February to September. So just almost the whole year, right, wow. I spent yeah. in that state as a clinician, my mm-hmm. husband and I both, yeah. right? The go-to yeah. person. And I, I have a small family. So, I mean, it was just, that was natural, right? To take that role. Right. But it was, I recognized right after that, that I needed time. And I took like six weeks off just to be, yeah. right? Like just to sure. finally experience it, right? Because mm-hmm. I was so busy being the care provider and helping everybody on the journey yeah. and that you mm-hmm. don't get a chance to be the daughter, right? To be the person um, that is having experiencing the loss, right? So it was kind of both of that. And I, mm-hmm. I remember just, you know, just sitting outside just for days on end, right? Just journaling and just processing, right? And I yeah. was so grateful to, you know, my employer, right? My my boss to say, yeah, yeah do it. Take the family leave. Just go do what you got to do, right? And And move through this. So... You got to yeah. take care of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to recognize that you're not really going to be good for anybody until you go through the process and heal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and it affects, we're one person, right? Our feelings, our emotions, our bodies, and the fatigue, uh, you know, with these things is so real. Oh. And um, and your mind, maybe, I know I noticed that my mind would be muddled. You know, it was like, good grief. I know how to think better than this. But um, it's just part of the process. And, mm-hmm. and um, part of that season of your life that you're doing. And you'll be a different person and hopefully a better person um, after you get on the other side. Yeah. And I, I think there's, too, something about, um, you know, people are more informed now, right? Family members are a lot more informed oh, yeah. than they ever were when <laughs> we were practicing, right? And then right. you have a clinician who's really informed, and so yeah. there's there's a part of uh, of this too that's about um, preparing staff for that family member who is a healthcare person, right? They they may not have experienced it themselves, but like you said, at times you're like a tiger or a lion, right? You're like you're doing everything you can to protect. Mm-hmm. I remember when my brother in law had H one N one, and he ended up in this small small community hospital. Went into ARDS very quickly, too soon for them to move him to a place that could care for him. And I remember being at that bedside just like, OMG, look where we're at, right? These people don't have the capacity, the knowledge, you know, to care for him the way he needed to be cared for. And I remember bringing in clinical practice guidelines to the nurses. Like, (laughs) I mean, really, I was because... I knew, right? Yeah. And at the, and even yeah. the intensivist, I remember saying, what's your plan? What are you going to do? Like asking him, and he didn't know how to respond to me. Like he didn't have, because nobody knew how to deal with H1N1, right? That was, again, another right. significant flu. We didn't know, right? And he went like from, I remember when he first went in the hospital and he was short of breath, right? And he said, oh, you're just anxious. I mean, yeah. they would have picked up on the right symptoms right yeah. then, and he'd right. never been sick in his entire life, right? So, and it spiraled, and he ended up passing away, right. and it was just a really sad, but it was like, how do you prepare yeah. those people to deal with me, <laughs> right? Because I'm coming right. at you with everything I got, yeah. because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I'm going to do everything I can everything to you do, can do what Absolutely. I can to help, right? Yeah. And so, I think right. there's a part of this, too, that's <laughs> preparing those people for the lion that's coming through the door, <laughs> That's right. And not, and not like turn away from it. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of healthcare providers who if somebody's, you know, prickly, a family member, you, you avoid. And it's like, no, you got to get closer. Yeah. got to get closer. And maybe it's just asking that simple question. You know, do you have some suggestions? What's going to be important to you right now? And having a couple of those questions kind of in your back pocket, mm-hmm. I think is a good way to kind of um, work with healthcare workers about that and to say, you know, come with me, like we're going to go see them. If they're who's, you know, what feels mm-hmm. like the most angriest person on your unit, let's go with them in there together. Mm-hmm. And let's, you know, just if I can deal with it, 
and it's not going to be perfect, but maybe you'll, you'll catch some words and you'll find out that the world's not going to end if you get closer. Yeah. Not farther away. Yep. Yep. Well, and I've always said, you know, people care more about how you are with them than what you're doing to them. Right. I don't care how many tests you do. That's right. I I care about who you're being with me Mm -hmm. on this Mm -hmm. journey, whatever it is, whether I'm a family member or I'm the patient. Right. What matters to me is, is how you're caring for me. Right. Not all the tests you're running. (laughs) You know, or the tasks you're ticking off, but who are you being, right? So, and I agree with you. I think it's Mm -hmm. all about just get, just lean in because there's a message there. And once you Mm -hmm. can break through that and they feel heard, they won't be that way. It won't be as prickly, right? right? It'll be so much easier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, the other thing is when family members are experiencing health challenges, as we, you know, often see, uh, (laughs) We look at it as a problem to solve, right? <laughs> and uh, but we know that underneath all that, right, are some some tensions that we have to manage as clinicians and in the family to offer support. And some of that is, you know, thinking about, you know, what's the impact of self and other. So we've all talked about yeah. how we've been caring for our family members, right? Caring for the ill and the rest of our family. But then, how do we take care of ourselves in the midst of all of that, too, right? Right, right. And I think, you know, that's really one of the things I've appreciated about being with this, this group of resilient and balanced healthcare leaders is really paying attention and having a different listening ear to where are the tensions. And instead of blowing through them, you know, really pausing a little bit to say, okay, what is it? And where, where am I at? And what's, you know, what's, what's making me feel a little bit unbalanced right now? And I think that self, that self and others, I think, um, I think one of the things when my mom was sick, I'm pretty sure I had a a sinus infection, like for seven months, like I just could not shake it. Um, and I, so that, that was my, you know, big, you know, red flag that I was not sleeping and I, um, was probably, you know, but, you know, part of me too knew that this was a season. So, it wasn't going to last forever. And, um, and you know, the things that I felt I needed to spend my time with were important things. So, um, you know, and I did. I did heal up physically <laughs> afterwards, too. Um, but it is that balance. And then thinking about it, can I change it? Or is it okay that right now I've got to spend more time in this poll? Mm-hmm. And that's okay, too, especially if you're if you know, if you are aware and awake and about it, exactly. If you're just letting it happen, that's when you get into trouble. But um, I think that's you know that certainly is you know one of you know one of the the big ones. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I I think you also talk a little bit about um, well we talked about time off right. So the mm-hmm. work and home and making sure people have enough time to deal with the home situation when they are going through something like this and to everybody be supportive of that Mm -hmm. Um, so on the flip side of that right you sometimes have to give the attention to the home pole right versus the work and knowing that again like you said earlier Mm -hmm. i know if i have support them to do that they'll come back stronger in the work environment than if they ignore those things that they need to just take the time and manage right right Right, right. I think the other thing that I saw, especially when I was, if I'm working, you know, with with staff about this, is that they're more um, appreciative of their coworkers and more willing to help other coworkers because we help them. And um, that's it's awesome to see that, and you know, just to call out in gratitude that team and that team is building stronger because of that. Um, I think about the friends that I worked with. We're not, we're all scattered that we're working together at that time that we were going through several of us going through some family situations, but we're still, you know, I, I, you know, we still have coffee, you know, a couple times, you know, every other month we're still good. You know, we've, because of what we went through together and the support we were able to give each other, Mm-hmm. we're tight and I love to see the those some of those um, relationships forming and the teams that I get to lead yeah yeah um, well then the other part of this is <laughs> candor and diplomacy <laughs> yeah. oh, oh. 
<laughs> so, you know, one of the strong values of my family and my father, my father is like the guy that everyone loves. My father's 98 and still living. And he is, um, you know, everyone feels like he feels like they're their best friend. He never says a bad word about anybody. He hates conflict, like conflict averse. <laughs> and so when there was bad things that happened and there were some honest to God mistakes that should not have happened. Not, nothing with intention, but it happened. It was a gap in care. He, and I was like going to confront folks about it and say, what do we need to do differently right now? Um, he was very upset about that. And I was upsetting him, which was not my intent. Mm -hmm. And so it really was that balance that, you know, so where was I going to do that? It wasn't going to be in the whole family conference, you know, but I was going to walk away with that provider and say, hey, let's talk about what just happened and have that, um, that you know, really upfront conversation with them. I could not do that with, with the whole dynamic because it upset my father so much. And he got very protective of the healthcare staff saying, you know, they would never do anything wrong. Well, they kind of did. <laughs> and I, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a gap. It's one of the things, unfortunately, our processes are not always good in healthcare, and we've got to learn from that. Yeah. Um, so it was, that was an interesting polarity. And, and I think that the more that I am further away from that situation. And when we were kind of looking at that particular, that candid and diplomatic kind of um, polarity, it was very interesting to me to think about the number of times that comes into play in my everyday life, I mm -hmm. think. But Yeah, it's such a, an important one. And it, it challenges, I know for me, it challenges me. You know, bring it, be candid and diplomatic at the same time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that is environment. Where are you, where are you having those conversations? Yes. And yeah. Have you thought a little bit about your words so that you can take away maybe some of those blaming words that first come into your mind, rush into your mind, and then, you know, take a step back and then, you know, think about how are there words that can help you both learn from the situation that you don't really know everything about it. You don't know every lens, but from your perspective, this is what you want to articulate. You don't know their perspective. And that I think that helps with the candor and diplomacy polls. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that it goes back to that pause you brought up in the beginning of the podcast, right? To kind of pause mm -hmm. and think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's all again, it always goes back to intention. And I've always found yes. when you need to be candid, just set the intention first. So here's my intention. I might not say this the best way, but I got to say it. And here's why I'm going to say it. Here's what's behind my words, you know, and just know that first. Right. And then, you know, you can share what you need to share. But I always find that that's helpful. Right. And you're not really in charge of their reaction. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. You know, we're all in charge of our own reaction to the situation. Yep. Um, and I think it's that also kind of helps me move through it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a, a, a great reminder, Roberta. Well, lastly, Roberta, we have one last very important question for you. We want to know what is the next article that you have in you? <laughs> you know, we know there's more in there. We can just feel it. <laughs> so are you working on anything now or do you have any ideas that you've been kind of percolating about that you'd like to write about? Well, there is an idea that I have been ruminating about and it's, um, I had the fortunate of working with Dr. Kate Lorig on um, enhancing self-efficacy with chronic disease self-management. It's a really cool deal. And the strategies to enhance self-efficacy really end up in more confidence in a person's ability to do something. And um, book knowledge doesn't always increase your confidence, but there's there are research-based strategies that do that. And so I'm looking at, um, I've applied those both in leadership development um, and also in just onboarding um, new nurses and taking a different frame of when you're onboarding that you that you infuse those strategies creates a confident nurse 
quicker and not just over, not overconfidence, but confident that so that they can perform better. And, um, and I think also with leadership development, I, is that oftentimes as leaders are growing into their role, it is really about building their confidence. And, and that when you have a, you build their confidence, you're more willing to probably make mistakes and learn from them. Because one of the big strategies in that is reframing um, situations, your lived situation, or reframing and reflecting on it. And what does it really mean versus what your first reaction is, that maybe it wasn't really a failure, maybe let's talk through it. So um, so that's that's what's been percolating in, mm-hmm. in my mind is to to look at applying that particular model both to onboarding and leadership development. Wow. That sounds wonderful. It does. Yeah. Love it. Well, Roberta, it's Again, been... stories, right? We're I, learning I, from stories. That's exactly <laughs> right. And that's kind of one of my closing thoughts of this interview is you have such a gift um, and there's such wisdom that comes from you know, real life experiences. And I love how you're kind of framing it up now with the power of stories. And um, I just think it's, it has such a big impact. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that with us and our listeners today. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that just really struck me was early on in our interview when you said, you know, it can change our practice because we gave it the opportunity to. And I just think that's such a powerful statement and just such a powerful way to be. You know, mm-hmm. open to the opportunity to have an experience change you and right back to the stories that we share to change us. Because they mm-hmm. can. They can. So thank you so much for sharing that. Being here well, with us. Well, yeah. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, that wraps up another awesome episode. Wraps it up. Yeah, so thanks for being with us on this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. And we'll see our listeners. Well, we won't see you, but you'll hear us soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, stay strong and safe, everyone. Yep, stay healthy. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, as always, for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We'd love to hear and answer your questions. If you have questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com, and we may include your question in a future episode. You can find show notes and links at our website, www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions on our website at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast.